Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. One of the great books that has been written in the past two or three decades is The Purpose Driven Life. And then you also found out in that that life is like a wave and when God moves, and he's moving, you catch a wave and you ride it. It's God doing it and not man-made, not something that we drum up, but we follow God. And this is what we want to do. We see God, even in the Old Testament and New Testament, you'll see these waves of like the miracles. They seem to come in waves or groups and uh, the movement of God in such a manner. So What we're on Exploring Missions we're desiring to do is not just look for, but know what God is doing and join Him. That's what this program will be about today in the past, the present, and the future. Join God in what He is doing. Again, welcome our co-host, Nathan Harper. And Nathan is the driving force behind this program. He is the one, especially when it comes to teaching, uh, he's the one that he and I get together, but he is the driving force. for. So keep Nathan and pray for him as God leads him and shows him what he's to do and how he teaches. And it's always a privilege to follow him and see what God has He's shown Nathan and is showing Nathan. And Nathan, when I look at this, the waves of modern mission, and look into where will God go next. It's kind yeah. of exciting. It's exciting. I'm a historian. I-, I love history. I pass that down to you. You love it as well. But also, I I, I don't want to be stuck in the past. I want to see what God's up to him and join him. And that's what we're up to here on Exploring Missions. Yeah, definitely. You know, one thing about a wave is there's always another one coming. Even at the crest or at the very top of a wave, you can look back and see, you know, the swell of another one coming. And and so today, all we want to do is uh, take you on a little journey for a few hundred years, starting back in the early 1700s. We know that God was working and had been working from the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation. But what we want to do specifically today is trace what's called the modern mission movement. Okay, so we're going to look at a little history lesson of uh, modern missions I know some of you that are listening, you hear the word history, you want to start checking out and tuning out. But I ask you not to, if you think about history, history is, ultimately, it's his story. Especially story, in missions. Yeah, for sure. It's a, yeah. it's a story of what God has done and what he's doing, what he's going to do. And we want to invite you to see yourself as a part of that. You're a character in the story. You're not the major character. We're going to point out a few major characters God is the ultimate actor and major character in, in the story, but uh, we're also, we have roles to play as well. We do. You know, Christmas is the greatest rescue mission in the world. Jesus himself came on mission, 
And so keep that in mind as we look at history. You say, I don't like history. Yes, you do. You like it whether you know it or not because uh, we're standing on the shoulders of giants when it comes to the mission waves of what God has orchestrated and done to reach people with the gospel. So what we want to do is start with, there's really three waves, and we want to start, of course, with the first wave of modern missions. And most of the time, people credit William Carey as the father of the modern mission movement, and that that would date in, in the late 1700s. But really, if you want to be a little bit more accurate, you need to go back a little bit before William Carey and find this uh, small band, this group of uh, started out as a bunch of praying people, followers of Jesus, led by this gentleman named Count Zinzendorf. You ever heard of Zinzendorf? <laughs> yeah, before? the first time I heard him is I, I was taken in seminary. I was taking missions and I heard of Count Zinzendorf. And of course, he had to write that name out so we could learn how to spell it because it sure was going to uh, appear on our test. And he is. I'm glad you go back to him rather than just William Carey. Yeah, so if you really want to be accurate, you would say the modern mission movement started with with prayer and the Moravians with Count Zinzendorf and Hernhut, and they would uh, pray nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Somebody was praying, and that prayer led to action and, and where hundreds of Moravian followers of Jesus would be sent out all over the world into the Caribbean, to the Americas, and even to, uh, I think, Asia and Africa, even to an extent. So then you make your way closer to the end of 1700s where you run into William Carey. A cobbler. <laughs> yeah, and so he wrote a book. He, first, he was, he was uh, William Carey was trying to convince some fellow uh, ministers to, hey, we need to, we need to, Organize and send out missionaries to the heathen is what he would call them, and it wasn't what they politically tell him, incorrect. Yeah, back they then. told him they said, "Sit down, young man. If God wants to save the heathen, He's going to do it without you and without yeah. us." But that's not what William Carey read in the scriptures. He he felt called to send people to go. He felt the church should organize to send missionaries out, and so he went out in seventeen. What was it? What was what was the year? Seventeen nineties, I think. It was, if to, I remember uh, correctly. To India, and I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, to India. India, India. You also have, uh, I guess, the first Baptist missionary, Adoniram Judson, beat William Carey by just a little bit. But even before Adoniram Judson, you had a gentleman from America. He was the first Baptist missionary. It was a liberated slave named George Lyle. And he went and planted churches and did mission work in Jamaica. And he went in 1782. When you see this, and and notice, if you start, think about it as you would militarily. If a Navy, Army here in the United States, Marines are going to take a area, they first, they yeah, they have some parachuters that come in and parachute behind lines, but they invade the coastlands. That's where they are, World War II. On Normandy, Nathan, it reminds you of that. So on missions, guess where you start? You usually start there. You land there and you uh, start there. And that was true with, with these individuals as they would go and start their mission effort. It was right there at the beginning. And 
Hopefully it would spread. Yes, it would. But that was just part of what God had in mind. He wanted to reach them, but God knows all people, not just the ones on the coastlands. Yeah, so that that's what we were kind of trying to summarize there. The first wave of modern missions was missions to the coastlands is, is one way you can look at it. The and, coastlands all over the Yeah, all over the world. The world. And, and William Carey kind of led this movement in a way to kind of think of evangelizing whole countries. And the way you start reaching whole countries is the port cities on the coastlands. You got to remember back in those days, the way to travel over land over many, many, many miles was too difficult. There was no air travel. And so you would travel by boat, a sea travel. And so these ships would have to launch from uh, Europe and the port cities in Europe and travel to port cities in Africa and Asia. And those coastland cities, those port cities are where the first wave of modern missions kind of targeted and kind of focused on. What made William Carey, not only him going, but his writings, that's uh, the main reason he is called the father of modern missions. Yes, Count Zizendorf and George Lyle, but William Carey, his was not just going, his was organizing, writing, and challenging others to come and join him. And uh, it's an amazing story. Anytime you can read a book about William Carey, you will be blessed. Yeah. So the, the book he actually wrote, I found the title here. Okay. Um, Get ready to write it down. It'll take a while. Yeah. Right? It's, uh, <laughs> how's this for a bestseller? An Inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens. That is the title of the book, not the purpose, but the title. (laughs) So 1792 is when William Carey sailed to India, and uh, you also have in that period of time in America the Haystack Prayer Meeting. Yes. And uh, many older, and some of them became uh, denominational, but a lot of older um, mission agencies, mission sending boards would be formed in this time. And we're talking between the 1730s and the 1850s. You cannot completely ignore what God was doing in America during that time, the first great awakening and what he was doing in Europe, in many of those locations, especially in England and and Germany. And after the reformation, God was still working. And so God was working in the lives of individuals and churches to share the good news. And Again, this is still difficult travel, but this is when the ships would cross the seas and not just stay close to the coastlines. And that's what made this time so real and and why it happened from 1730 to the 1850s. They were invading this first wave. If you're keeping notes, if you're a student, first wave was to the coastlands from 1730 to the 1850s. So moving on to the second wave of modern missions. And this one focuses on the interior. So finally, missionaries, the church wanted to push the gospel inland from the coastlands to the interior. And a lot of exploration and a lot of difficult challenges awaited those who would go. But I know you've heard this name, David Livingston. And uh, David Livingston, one of my heroes, somebody I've read a lot about. And during this time, the 1850s to 1930s, Along with David Livingston, there was another gentleman named Hudson Taylor. So Livingston was focused in Africa. Hudson Taylor was in China. 
And so he started a uh, mission agency called the China Inland Mission. And by the 1930s, by the end of the second wave, there were missionaries serving with China Inland Mission that numbered almost 1,300 missionaries. That's amazing, especially in that period of time. Now, this is significant in China because this was during the period of time of freedom before the communist regime took over. And it would be significant leading to the underground church that is in China today and the number of Christians that are in China. And so we're looking at this second wave to the interior affecting what's going on today. Yeah, that's right. So you not only had China Inland Mission during this time form, you had a couple other, actually more than two more, but these are kind of well-known and still established today. You had Sudan Inland Mission. If you've heard of SIM, they've changed their name, but the initials are still there. Still there. uh, Hinting back to this period of time. So the Sudan Inland Missions and Africa Inland Missions. And so a major driver that pushed, I guess, wave makers, if you will, that God used to push this wave of missions to the interiors was the Second Great Awakening in in England and the U.S. And then you had... um, the Industrial Revolution that occurred. So more and more people were sent out by the church during this second wave of modern missions to the interiors. What happens here, the railroad, the ships had been that way. Now railroads are being built. We know this in our American history. It's easy to keep up with. But also, even in some of these areas, uh, they were making, the I would say, the routes easier from the port cities to the interior because people were there and because of the Industrial Revolution, the things that were available that had not been available that they could trade and they could uh, have resources. And so God used these areas to share with others the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the whole idea and denominations really caught on during this time of sending missionaries, Southern Baptist, which I am, uh, during this time, and we still do it today, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, she was there in uh, China, you know, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Others, one of the great revivals, Shantung Revival, took place because of the interior and what God was doing. And it was kind of like a ripple effect, but the ripple starts on the coastlands and goes inland. So, but it's still that way as it would progress. They would share the gospel, and then it would spread out. And uh, during this period of time, I'm not sure we called it church planting during that period of time. Nathan, I don't know for sure the right. terminology that was used, but guess what was happening? Church plants. Uh, they were planting churches from these in these interior spots to do the work of God in missions. All right, so we're ready for the third wave. And really, the 1850s to 1930s, that second wave, led up to World War II. And that seemed to be a dividing line between the second and the third wave of modern missions. So third wave of modern missions, 1930s, and you could basically say till the present time, although we're going to talk a little bit about maybe some things that are shifting. We may be in transition. Yeah, that's right. And all of these had transition periods and all of these had important starting points with prayer, but they also included not just prayer, but prayer among college students. In the second wave, you had the student volunteer movement. And so a lot of what God was up to in in seeing these waves form included 
lots of prayer from the church, but also involvement with university and college students, young people, uh, and that energy that they carry. So the third wave of modern missions, 1930s to present, and the focus is on unreached peoples, the unreached peoples. So if the first wave focused on the coastlands and reaching whole countries, the second wave focused on the interiors of those countries, the third wave focused on the forgotten peoples, the people that were skipped over and maybe not noticed initially. And so there was a lot of research done at the beginning of this time period by a couple of people that I want to focus on. One was the name of Cameron Townsend. Now, Cam Townsend, he was in um, Guatemala as a missionary, and he noticed that as he was delivering Spanish Bibles to people up in the, uh, the hills and uh, the valleys in Guatemala, just because they were in Guatemala, the official language of Spanish, not everybody could read or even speak Spanish. And so the Bibles that he had were not really doing anybody any good if they couldn't read them in their own heart language. They had a lot of tribal languages spoken in Central America still to this day. And so what uh, Cameron Townsend focused on was he wanted to see the gospel, the word of God, translated into people's, tribal people's heart language. And so Cam Townsend would eventually organize an organization that's still alive and well today called Wycliffe Bible Translators. So they've actually done a great work of doing Cameron Townsend's, you know, accomplishing that vision of seeing the Bible translated into thousands and thousands of heart languages. But they're still, still good doing bit, it today. Still got, still got a good bit to go. Another gentleman named Ralph Winter, he was a missiologist, and he kind of, kind of built a little bit off of Cam Townsend's work, noticing the tribal peoples around the world to where he said, you know, these can be qualified as ethnic groups or people groups. And there's thousands of people groups around the world that are still unreached with the gospel. In other words, less than 2% of that population has uh, followed Jesus. And, you know, if a population of people group has at least 2% or more of their population following Jesus, they can evangelize themselves at that point, generally. But under 2%, they need outside help. They need missionaries to come. And so he helped to identify thousands of unreached people groups around the world. Is Did the 1040 window spring that was during up this during period that of time, period of time, Nathan? Where they located most of the unreached people groups were in what's called the 1040 window, 10 degrees by 40 degrees north of the equator over in the eastern hemisphere. So from North Africa, across the Mediterranean, Middle East, Central Asia, all the way over to East Asia. And so even still to this day, there are still thousands of unreached people groups. And so that was the focus of this third wave where outreach increasingly utilized specialized methods in addition to just preaching the gospel. They looked at some sociological effects, linguistic effects, and uh, to where we have kind of this third wave to unreached people. They had a history to study by that time of what, yes. who was reached and how to reach them. That's the value of the history of what we're doing. Each wave built upon the other. And uh, it reached more people. That's right. So, you know, we're still kind of in the in the third wave, but there's indications that we're in a transition period. And, you know, if history repeats itself, we know for there to be a fourth wave of modern missions, it will probably include, and I can guarantee this, it will definitely have to include 
lots of prayer, prevailing prayer from God's people around the world. And it will also possibly include young people again, students and college students and young people. So this fourth potential, fourth wave of modern missions, another era, we don't know exactly the focus of it at this point. You know, in history, you look back and then you can label things. When you're in the middle of a transition time, you can't necessarily label things. Yeah, they didn't call the first great awakening the first great awakening when they were doing it, you know. Uh, But they're building, and we see tendencies. Would that be? Yeah, tendencies and trends. Yeah. And so let me just identify possibly three trends that might serve as potential wave makers, things that are kind of stirring things up. God is using them. So we're asking folks possibly to catch this wave. Yeah. And look, and look for the next way that's coming. And join God. We we're not asking you to join us, but Paul would say, follow uh, me as, as I follow Christ. So catch this wave. So one of the things that we've noticed is kind of a combination of two things. One is you could call it a global city. So you have cities around the world that would be called, called global cities. In other words, there are people that live there that are made up of people from all over the world. They, they've come from different countries to reside in this in particular cities. Most of it is for business. There's globalization of economy and, and businesses and uh, lots of trade information going from one end of the world to the other. Sometimes it's the click of a, a mouse button. And so you have people living in these large cities around the world from all over, representing multiple people groups, representing lots of countries lots of languages. And uh, so these global cities include what we would call diaspora peoples. Now, diaspora is just a fancy word that means dispersion. Um, In other words, these people that have come from all over to live in one location. For different reasons. Yeah, for different reasons. Some, like in the U.S., some of the global cities in the U.S., they would be in here for just simply uh, working, maybe immigrating to live and become citizens of the U.S., but some for just temporary periods of time to work. Then others would come as uh, international students, college students, to come to learn for four or five years and then go back home. And then others would come, a smaller group, as resettled refugees. And so you have different migrations of people from everywhere to everywhere as diaspora people. So that's one of the trends that's shaping, possibly wave-making, a new era of missions. Another one would be the rise of the church, the growth of the church in the global south. Now, the global south, what we mean is south of the equator. So South America, Africa, some parts of southern Asia, and you see lots and lots of new churches, new believers rising up, and they are going from their locations as missionaries back into some of these places where they received missionaries from maybe 100 or 200 years before. And so... Another way of saying this are majority world churches, not third world churches, but majority world churches. And so they are some of the diaspora peoples moving into our cities, even in the West. And many times there's churches that are already there that they've got the buildings, they've got everything that is needed but they've got to look under the fields that are white to harvest that are a little bit different than they have been in, during the third, even the third wave. It's different now. It is. It's, there's, there's a shift that has occurred. 
and uh, we need to open our eyes to see what God's doing. And so one of the, a third kind of trend or potential wave maker before we uh, close out the episode today is seeing the West. And when we say the West, we mean not just the United States, Canada, North America, but also Europe. And you could throw Australia in with that. So what's considered Western culture, culturally the West. So the West is a mission field. No longer is it the only mission sending mechanism in the world, but the West has also become the greatest mission receiving field in the world. Okay, so the mission, the West as a mission field. Another way of saying this is post Christendom. Okay, the church in the West is at a point where there's some health and there's some unhealth. And uh, which way will it go? Well, I believe that God is sending these brothers and sisters from majority world churches from the global south into our global cities in the West to help us to become a healthy church again in the, in the West. And we should look to them and we should partner with them and we should see what God is doing through them. There's a gentleman named uh, Leslie Newbigin. I don't know if you've heard of Leslie Newbigin, but he was a uh, he was a missionary during this uh, really the third wave of modern missions to uh, India. So he came back to England after being gone for for many years, and he noticed England had changed and shifted from a Christendom mindset to a post Christendom mindset, and so he had a lot of writings to do with uh, how we need to see the West as a mission field. So anyway, that's a run through history there and look, a look to the future, maybe what God might be up to. How can we possibly be a part of that? What can we do to, to join God in this? The whole idea is praying. Lead your church into looking under the fields that are there right around you and in place of escaping Look to see what God would have you to do. In place of operating in fear, operate in faith and saying, God, you've brought them here. And the disagreement on how they got here, that's not an argument after they're here. We need to reach them. God's brought them to our doorsteps. Reach out into the fields. Share Christ. Let people hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. Nathan, thank you for taking us through this journey. Thank you. Let's uh, follow the waves that God sends and uh, learn to be wave riders. Here on Exploring Missions, we pray that you would be on mission for God as he calls you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.